Amen. Thanks, Rob. Well, praise God for the reading and hearing of his word, and uh, good to start the year off together. I'm so, I'm so excited that you're here this morning, and so um, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Josh and uh, the pre- preaching pastor here, so thankful that you're here with us. So let's pray, and then let's dig into this passage that, that Rob read. Let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your amazing grace and mercy. Thank you for your word, which is so powerful that it can, it can tear down the defenses of our heart and our mind, and it can bust through the sin that so easily besets us, and it brings us to the feet of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that the word of God has power to convert the soul, and that the Holy Spirit can use this word, Lord, to change our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that you would transform us from within. God, equip us for the week ahead. God, and may we not only learn something new this morning, but may we be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ himself. And Lord, we're asking for that in the lives of every person here that knows Jesus. And Lord, we're praying that if anybody here does not know Christ, that this would be the morning of their salvation, their conversion and surrender. So God, just speak to us through your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started with this message Um, I got a new toy. Um, I have one of these little clickers. You can buy these on Amazon. So now I control the screen. Like, and I have a laser pointer. Like, check this out. Okay, so if any of you are thinking of sleeping, right? Like, I can, like, now find you, like, in the middle of the sermon. This is going to be great. I promise not to use the laser pointer, okay? Promise. Um, but I, I do get the, uh, the clicker. Let's just see if this is working. Yes, it is. Okay. So for some of you, you know what this picture is all about. This is a picture from the TV show, The Amazing Race. And so The Amazing Race is a show, uh, where a, a team of two people race all around the world and they're trying to beat all these other teams through obstacles and challenges and they fly and they travel all through all these different countries and their goal is to end here. It's to end here, right on this mat, this amazing race mat. And that is the TV show host, Phil. Everybody wants to see Phil. At the end of the race, they want to see Phil and Phil will tell them what place they're in and he'll say, congratulations, you're team number one or you're team number two or you're team number three. And then he'll tell them like what's going on. And if you're in last place, you don't want to see Phil because you'll come to the end of the mat and he'll tell you you're the last team to arrive and I'm sorry to tell you that you have been eliminated from the race. And so uh, my family and I, we've gotten into this show, we've been watching it, it's, com- it's competitive, it's fun to watch. And so this has never happened in the history of the Amazing Race, where a, a team that is in first place comes to the, to the mat and, and talks to Phil, and Phil says, congratulations, you are team number one, but because you have landed on the mat first as team number one, we are actually going to push you back into last place, and you have been eliminated from the race. Congratulations. That's never happened. Okay. You know what else has never happened is the last place team coming in to the mat, standing in front of Phil, and Phil saying, hey, I'm sorry to tell you that you have been the last team to arrive, but we are going to reroute you to team number one, and you have won a million dollars. You've won the prize. That's never happened either. Um, You see, like, everybody, most everybody in this life wants to be first. 
I mean, you want to be first. You at least want to be winning or headed toward first place in your life. Like everybody, almost everyone wants to win financially. You want to have more money than the next guy. You want to, you want to have enough uh, finances to, to be comfortable. And you, don't, you may not be going to be the richest guy in the world or the richest gal in the world, but you want to have something. You want to be first. Um, some people want to be first physically. They want to punish their bodies and be first physically, the most fit person that you know. Uh, some people want to be first spiritually. They want to be, you know, Bible beater Jane or Bible beater Jeff. They want to be the person who's closest to Christ and, and they want to tell everybody about how spiritual they are. And some people want to be first socially. You want to, you want to meet all the, check all the boxes and be socially accepted. And it's this desire to be first that often gets out of control in our lives. Can I get an amen? In 2020, we've learned a lot of things. But, but one of the things that's always true of the human nature is that we want to be first. And sometimes this desire to be first gets out of control. And that's where we come into Matthew chapter 20. Um, we're starting this sermon series. It's five weeks on humility and servanthood. And we're coming into Matthew chapter 20. And, and in this context, we, we have this scene, right, where where James and John and their mom come to Jesus and they're approaching Christ. And, and just previously, in the previous chapter, Matthew 19, Jesus, in verses 28 through 30, promised the disciples thrones on, to rule Israel. He said, look, in the kingdom to come, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he had promised the 12 guys, you're going to sit on thrones, guys. When, when my king kingdom comes, I'm going to sit on this throne and you'll all have thrones too. So the disciples are thinking, we're going to have thrones. This is a good thing. We're going to be in places of power. We're going to be in a places of authority. So they had already thought through this idea that I'm going to be first, man. I'm going to sit on a throne. And so Matthew 20 is a, is a pickup of that theme. So James and John, uh, who happen to be Jesus' cousins, if you didn't know that, James and John, the sons of thunder, they come with their mom, Salome. Salome is actually the, the, the uh, sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So it's kind of like a family connection. Jesus' cousins and, his, and, and, and Mary's mom, Jesus' aunt, they come. And basically in Matthew 20, she approaches and she wants a couple things. She gets all political and kind of familial and saying, hey, Jesus, hey, we're coming here. You know, I heard about the thrones, right? Here's what I want. I want my boys to have the thrones on your right hand and on your left hand. Now, look, I know we're close. I know we're related. There's family here. It's a little political, but I want the thrones for my boys. And um, that's the first point of the morning message, is that the first is last. Okay, the first is last. So if you're taking notes, um, the first is last. Uh, so the mother, let's pick it up in verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left hand in your kingdom. So there it is. 
She's asking for thrones for her kids. And the first problem that James and John have and Salome is that they misread the nature of Jesus's kingdom. Jesus talks about thrones and they're like, oh, okay, that's great. We're going to have thrones. That's what we want. They misread it. They think that following Christ is all about power and authority and and comfort. That's what they think. Um, They're putting themselves first. They're putting others last. And you know what? There is an inherent love of self here. Salome loves her boys, and the boys, they love themselves. They want to be above the other ten disciples. They want to sit there, and they're okay with it. They're signing off on it. And um, they misread the kingdom of God. They're putting self first. There's a love of self inside of them. And, uh, you know, I think many in Christianity today, we do that as well. We view the kingdom of Jesus as an opportunity for us to be exalted. We view walking with Jesus as an opportunity for, hey, you know what, Lord, I'm serving you. I'm doing all this stuff. I deserve a throne. We think Christianity is all about power and, and influence And we put ourselves first and we put others last. And so the great theologian Augustine, he said this in his book, The City of God. He said there are two cities that have been formed by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly of love of God, even to the contempt of self. So what's Augustine saying? Augustine is saying that within all of us, there is this love, right? And we're either going to love the kingdom of earth or we're going to love the kingdom of God. And there is, no, there is no in between. If we love the kingdom of earth, we will love that to the contempt of our love for God. And if we love the kingdom of heaven, we will love that kingdom in contempt of even our very own lives. So it's either God or self. And I think Salome and the boys, what they misunderstood was the nature of Jesus' kingdom. What it would take to be exalted in Christ's kingdom. So let's look at verse 22. Jesus answered and he said, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit and to to be first at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those who've been prepared for by my father. So Jesus responds to Salome and to the boys by saying, you don't understand what you're asking here. You don't get it. You're asking for something that you don't understand. And then he attacks this idea of sitting on thrones. Jesus attacks the idea of sitting on thrones, and he does so by attacking the minds of the disciples. In their mind, they thought greatness and power within Jesus' kingdom is when I am sitting on this throne. That's greatness. That's power. And Jesus says, in his mind, he's about ready to turn their world upside down. He says, greatness in my kingdom involves suffering and serving. So Jesus is going to say, let me, let me talk about thrones. You want to talk about thrones? In order to get that throne, there is suffering involved and there is service involved. And so <clears throat> the word great, whenever you see the word great in this passage, it is, it is the idea of being mega, to being big in rank and big in influence and importance. So what Jesus is saying is what he meant um, in this response is you're going to have to drink. 
drink of what? Drink of the cup, drink of my cup. He goes into this drinking thing. He's like, you, are, can, are you able to drink my cup? Are you able to drink this? And the guys are like, sure, we can. We can drink. What, are, what kind of wine are you serving, Jesus? We can drink that. And Jesus did not mean physical wine. Jesus, when he says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? He's talking about the cup of the wrath of God. Jesus is about ready to drink the cup of God's wrath, prophesied about in the Old Testament over and over again, the, the punishment of God upon sin. Jesus is about ready to drink that up at the cross, and he's asking the boys, are you able to drink of this cup of suffering, this cross? Are you able to suffer for my name's sake? And they're like, sure, I'm able to do that. Have you ever responded to Jesus with stuff that you don't know about? Sure you have. Where you like, where Jesus is like, hey, this is what it's gonna take to be a servant of Christ. And you're like, yeah, sure, whatever that means, I can do that. And Jesus smiles at you and me, and he says, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. That's what Christ is saying. He's like, you know what? You are going to drink the cup. The suffering part, that is coming your way, but I can't even tell you whether that's going to equal out you sitting on my left or right because that's not my seat to give. God the Father, it is his choice. It's already appointed who's going to sit on those two thrones at the right hand and the left hand. And so Jesus is going into this reality that the importance of suffering in the disciples' life is so crucial to Jesus' mind But the disciples, they were just thinking about exaltation. So the Apostle Paul would later echo these words of suffering, this idea of suffering in the Christian life. In Galatians 2.20 where he says, For I am crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And Paul continues with this word in Romans 8.18. I just read this in my devotions. For I consider the sufferings of this present world not to be worth comparing for the glory that is going to be revealed in us. So Paul is saying something very important. He's backing up what Jesus is saying to us as Christians. He's saying, look, there will be sufferings in this life. If you name the name of Jesus, you're not going to get a throne. You are going to get sufferings in this present age and sufferings to the extent that you will will wonder if it's worth it or not to follow Christ. And Paul says, these present sufferings are not worth comparing with what is going to be revealed inside of us when we leave this world and enter into glory. And so Jesus talks to these disciples about suffering. And so in verse 24, when the 10 other disciples heard about it, they were indignant. And they were indignant at the two brothers. So the word indignant means to be angry or filled with fury or very displeased. Okay, so the disciples were upset. They were super angry when they heard that James and John and and their mom requested for thrones. These guys were absolutely incensed because like, probably for a lot of reasons, right? You got to think that they thought, who are these brothers? Who do these brothers think they are? Getting in front of us, asking about the thrones, the exalted ones. And deep down, you got to think the 10 disciples were thinking in their minds, I was kind of hoping to sit at the right and to the left. That's why I'm angry. I wanted that spot, right? And so they were, they were really upset. 
And Jesus called to them in verse 25, and he said, And you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercised authority over them. So let's just stop here and say that Jesus is a master teacher, is he not? He's taking all these guys who are just filled with fury and anger, and, and he's like, this is a teachable moment. This is, that's what a leader does. When there's emotions raging, like a teacher uses it for a moment of instruction. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's pulling them aside, and he's saying, look, you know the rulers of the Gentiles, right? You know these high pagan authorities. They love to do these things. So he's going to give them a lesson. All right, he's going to talk about the Gentiles, the Roman world. And the word Lord means to bring under subjection. So if you look at that, it says the Gentiles lorded over them. That word means to bring under subjection, to be a master of. And and basically, the, the great ones exercise authority. And the word exercise authority means to wield power. So Jesus is saying, you guys know the Gentiles. You know the Roman world that we're in. You know how the leaders, they, they love to have power and they love to flex their muscles. They love, to, they love to flex their power over other people. You guys know that, right? And so Jesus is telling them, this is how the world works. This is how the Roman world works. Everybody's looking to be powerful and to wield that power over other people. And uh, the guys would have gotten that. They would have understood that. We live in such a culture today. We do. All right, we live in such a culture. Did you know this week, 56 people were minted this week as new billionaires in the United States of America. Did you know that? I thought 2020 was a year of suffering, didn't you? I thought 2020 was a year where everybody was doing bad. You know what? 56 people became billionaires in 2020. 56 people feel power that they've never felt. They're on the upper crust of our society saying, you know what, I'm somebody because I've got power and I've got a billion dollars worth of value to my name. We live in this culture that values power. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna just flash this picture up, right? This is our Gentile world, man. We got, we got Trump, we got Biden, we got Harris, and we got Justice Roberts, these are individuals that carry a ton of power within our culture. And we, as, as, as a society, we look at these individuals, and these are power players because they exist in a world where in order to get to this high of a level, you have to be a person of power. You have to be a power player in the room. You gotta take control, and you gotta wield control over certain people and certain rooms and certain things, structures, so we understand this, that whoever's the loudest, who's the fastest, who's the strongest, and who's the richest, that's who gets to rule the jungle, known as our society today. Who gets to be first the most? That's what Jesus is saying in verse 25. He's like, guys, you know that this is how the world works. And then he says in verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Look at verse 26, contrast. You guys know how the world works. It's a power player world, and yet it will not be so among you. It's not gonna be that way. Jesus is announcing that his kingdom will operate under different values. He's gonna have different values. You know, this is a good reminder for Christians. 
If you proclaim that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to know that we as believers operate under different values than the world. Can I get an amen? We do. And if you look at your life and your Christianity does not lead you to operate under a different value than the world, then you probably have a false Christianity. If your Christianity doesn't look any different than the world, then you need to check your Christianity because it might be a false Christianity. And Jesus is, is bringing us to the second point. Not only is the first last, but the last is now first. Jesus is making a point in verse 27 and 28. And he says it in verse 27, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Jesus is saying, if you want to be great, you want to be first, you want to have honor and influence, you need to be a servant. The word servant there in verse 27, it literally means one who sweeps the floors. If you want to be great in God's eyes, you need to be one who serves other people. This is where we get our word deacon. So a deacon at Living Waters Fellowship is one who sweeps the floors for God. One who sweeps and serves other people. That is great in the eyes of Jesus. He's saying if you want to be great, you've got to be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave. The word slave there means one who voluntarily gives himself to another's will. Someone who is willingly committed to another person and their interests. Jesus is saying, first place in my kingdom is for the floor sweepers. First place in my kingdom is a person who serves other people by forgetting themselves and putting others in front of them. Greatness in Jesus' kingdom is humility and servanthood. This is so controversial at that time. Jesus is laying out something that is so alien to that culture because in the Roman uh, Empire, in the Greco-Roman Empire, there wasn't even a word in the dictionary for humble servant. There was not even a word in the dictionary. Romans didn't understand humility and servanthood. And Jesus said, not only am I going to tell you about humility and servanthood, I'm going to rewrite the dictionary and say that the greatest people in my kingdom will be those who humbly serve others. The Apostle Paul would say this as well. He would support this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He said, for this light momentary affliction is working for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. And Jesus himself said um, in Matthew 6 20 he said store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal Jesus is saying if you want to be truly great you have to become a servant because as you become a servant you will begin to see that you are setting up aside for yourself treasures in heaven and so my goal this morning is to worship God this month whenever I get to preach this month by highlighting truly great people at Living Waters who are living out these values. Values of humility and values of servanthood. And so Warren Wearsby said this, he said, your sermon lasts an hour or two. Your life preaches all week. Amen? Your sermon lasts an hour or two. Your life preaches all week long. And you can put yourself in there. You don't have to preach to understand this, this quote. 
that our, our Christianity and our version of Christianity is always on display because we're on display. And so here's the reality I want to sh- talk about. I want to talk about a couple of heroes in our church. Okay, I want to talk about Misty Sparks and Jennifer Johnston. And I want to throw Katie Tyson there as well. Okay, now I'll start with Misty and Jennifer. Misty and Jennifer are amazing servants of God at Living Waters. These individuals serve in nursery faithfully and joyfully all year long. In fact, I asked, I asked Julie McDaniel how many times Misty and Jen have served in nursery in the past year, and they have averaged, averaged the last two years, they have averaged serving in the nursery 30 times a year. All God's people said, amen, right? 30 times per year they, they serve in the nursery. Now look, what you need to know about Jen and Misty is that they don't have any kids. They don't have any kids. So here they are, all right, serving within the nursery, being available all the time to fill in for people who can't make it, and they do it 30 times a year. And so does this girl, Katie Tice. Katie's one of my heroes of the faith. Katie's kids are old, they're beyond nursery age, and here she is banging it out 30 times a year in our nursery. And what are they doing? Man, they're wiping snotty noses, and they're cleaning other people's kids' diapers. All right, and all God's people said amen, right? Like they're doing that, and, and they're doing that with a joyful heart. And here's the thing. You guys, they're working with little kids. These are unbeliever kids, these are kids that are not Christians. That's not easy, right? They, got, they, they, just, they just poop and pee and cry, and that's what they do. And, and Misty and Jen and Katie, they serve with joy. What does that mean? Well, I think it means they're great in the kingdom of God. I think it means they're first. I think there's a separate place in heaven of exaltation for nursery workers. Can I get an amen? I just think there is. And these, these individuals, they do it for the glory of Christ. And sometimes, you know, nursery feels like last place, doesn't it? Last place, man, nursery. I mean, you miss out on adult conversations. You miss out on, on, on some of the, the fellowship time. It's not a place of accolades or press or encouragement. And yet, I, I believe strongly that God will honor these individuals because he calls them great. They're number one. And I wanted to highlight them. I also wanted to highlight um, our Carlisle small group. Our Carlisle small group, this was right before Christmas break. They took it upon themselves to set out snacks and resources and encouragement for 60 teachers and administrators at Carlisle High School. They did that and set it all up and, they, and they, they did it selflessly. They didn't do it for accolades. They didn't do it for press. They didn't do it to get an attaboy or an girl. They did it so that Jesus would be seen and people would be blessed. And so they did this for, for 60 plus. Now, that, that feels like last place, doesn't it? It feels like last. When you're, when you're buying stuff with your own money and you're sacrificially putting stuff together and you're, you're thinking of others and you're setting out the, the trays and you're writing notes of encouragement, it feels like last place. Jesus says it's first place. That stuff is first place in his kingdom. And so I say all those things because 
Christ calls us to greatness, and greatness doesn't look like being the loudest voice in the room or the most gifted person in the room. Greatness in his kingdom is being humble before him and serving others. And Jesus said it in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve. That indicates the purpose for which he was here. He, what, he said, I came to be the one who serves other people. The phrase give his life in verse 28, it carries the idea of giving up the soul or giving up one's breath. Jesus literally gave up his life. He gave up his soul. He gave up his breath as a ransom for many people. What's a ransom? A ransom is a price paid for the freedom of others. Jesus gave his very last breath so that many people could be free. Free from what? Free from sin and death. Jesus Christ gave up his life. He modeled true greatness by being a humble servant, God in the flesh, coming down and serving other people. He did this by hanging out with commoners, healing the sick, doing acts of mercy and grace, preaching to crowds. And ultimately, Jesus gave up his physical life at 33 years old. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus so freely give up his physical life in the prime of his physical life? Why did he give it up? Because he knew sin had to be paid for. He knew sin had to be paid for. He knew that you and me would sin 10,000 times a day and we would do that every day of our lives. He knew that we would be born under sin. He knew that sin would enslave us to Satan and to the kingdom of hell. He knew that we would be lost and without the ability to save ourselves if he didn't pay the price. Jesus gave up his life at 33 years old to pay the price for every sin you did on Christmas break. Praise God. He, he gave up his life because he knew that this world is passing away and heaven is forever. Do you know that this morning, Christian? That 1 John tells us that this earth is passing away, but he who does the will of God will remain forever. This earth is nothing. It's a blip and eternity is forever, and we ought to live like Christ with that same mindset. Jesus also knew that he had to sacrifice himself because he loved God, and he loved us. So looking at Jesus and greatness within his kingdom, you can see that it's the, it's the exact opposite of what this world will tell you. This world will tell you to be the power player, be the, be the man, be the woman, you know, control the room, make all the things happen. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The greatest in my kingdom are humble. The greatest in my kingdom serve. The greatest in my kingdom lay their lives down for other people. So if you look at Jesus and, and how he serves, you could almost develop a definition like this. Jesus served us in a way that was sacrificial that brought joy and freedom into our lives. And if we know Christ is our savior, I think this is a good way for us to define how we serve others. When we serve others, 
we should serve like Jesus. And when we do that, here's what it would be. It's sacrificial. And it happens in a way that brings joy and freedom to the lives of those who receive it. So Christian, here's the question for you as we close our our sermon. Is that you? Is this definition you? When you serve somebody, do they experience joy and freedom in their lives when you serve them? Or when you serve them, are they like, whoa, I don't know what that's all about, but I don't want any part of that. Like you're trying to do something good for them and you're like, hey, I'm doing something good for you. You should appreciate me. That's freaky, okay? Can I just say that's scary? Service that is exalted in Jesus' kingdom is one that is sacrificial on your part and it brings joy and freedom to the lives of those who receive it. So as we close, first is last and last is first. Jesus Christ became last so that you could become first. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that you might be forgiven. He took on hell and the wrath of God so that you might experience forgiveness and freedom to go to heaven. This morning, believer, are you thankful for that? That's, all, that's my only question for Christians. Are you thankful for this Christ who sacrificially gave himself for you? And if you're an unbeliever, it's probably time you realize the sacrifice was for you and you receive it for the first time. Surrender all. First is last and last is first. So believer, if being first in Jesus' kingdom is measured by how you suffer and how you give to other people, how are you doing? How would you rate yourself this morning? If you're anything like me, you've got a long ways to go. But by God's grace, you can respond this morning and say, Lord, make me more great in your eyes. Humble and servant-hearted to other people. Make me a servant. The old hymn says this. Make me a servant, humble and meek. Lord, let me lift up those who are weak. And may the prayer of my heart always be, make me a servant. And we're going to sing, I surrender all here in a few moments. All to Jesus, I surrender. Think through those words before you sing them. All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, God, for the love that you have for us. God, thank you for your word. The greatness of your kingdom, Jesus, is that first is last and last is first. And God, so many of us this morning, we want to be first in everything we do. But God, I think for most of us, you're calling us to start being last. To start being humble and servant-hearted, God, to other people around us. And so, Lord, I pray for every Christian here who knows you, Jesus, as Savior, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would communicate to them right now in their hearts and minds, right where they're at, this, are, this is the area I want you to change in. God, help us to serve in such a way that brings joy and freedom to others because Jesus has brought joy and freedom to us. And so, God, I pray that if there's anybody here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that this morning would be the morning where they would simply trust for the first time. And oh God, make us great in your eyes. Lord, the world, the world might scorn us and say no and not even know our names and we may not make a big indent, 
God, in this world. But Lord Jesus, in your kingdom, may you look down at Living Waters Fellowship and say, that's a church that is great in my eyes. So God, help us to go for it in response. Help us to respond to you with our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name.